A successful retirement plan begins with assembling the right set of tools. Finding the proper ones for the job will allow you to drill down on your goals and nail down your future. Scott Searles, certified wealth strategist and owner of Skybox Financial Group, constructs retirement plans for clients every day and will share that knowledge and insight with you. It's time to open the retirement toolbox and get to work. Got a great show coming up on the Retirement Toolbox today. Walter Storholt with you alongside Scott Searles, financial advisor, president of Skybox Financial Group in the greater Cleveland area. We're taking you on a crash course, if you will, on today's show. We're going to talk about the psychology of investing in the wake of historic market crashes. So we're really going to explore today, Scott, why people handle money the way that they do. Because it turns out that some of our behaviors can be traced back to formative memories. And even if we're not fully plugged into the financial world when we're perhaps younger or even in our working lives, uh, sometimes these things that happen, these larger economic forces, can shape the way we view money, much like maybe a more personal interaction with a loved one or parent Mm -hmm. or just a mentor can shape how we view and operate in the world of money. So it's going to be kind of fun to contrast some past major market crashes and talk about their influences on individuals and generations and how that sort of sort of shapes the mindset of people. So it's going to be kind of a cool one. We're going to learn about finance stuff today, but we're also going to get into the psychology a little bit. I know you kind of like these kinds of topics, don't you? Yeah, they call me Dr. Searles. <laughs> Dr. Searles, I like that. Good. <laughs> no, but, not really. I am not a medical doctor. I no. just play one on the podcast. C- c- compliance. There's compliance again. They're going to make us uh, clar- clarify that, aren't they? I know regulators will be in here and they hear <laughs> that's this. That's right. Sir, you said you were a doctor and that's inaccurate <laughs> and uh, we're taking your business. Goodbye. <laughs> we don't want that to happen. So. No, not at we'll, all. We'll throw whatever disclaimers out there that we need to. Uh, so we'll dive into that here in just a moment. Plus, don't forget, we always have a great listener question to cap off each show and it'll be Catherine this week and she's got some concerns about her mom and uh, her mom's aging and wanting to help take care of her but also wanting to take care of her own retirement and maybe needing to retire early so a little bit of a web of questions there that I think will be enlightening to tackle so Catherine thanks for that question we will tackle it on today's show but let's dive into well we'll kind of take these chronologically I suppose Scott that might be just the easiest way for people to wrap their minds around and we're going to walk through some let's of these some of these big crashes, and let's talk a little bit more about how that influences the mindset of investors and savers and our relationship with money. So let's start with a big one, the Great Depression, 1929 to 1939, an entire decade. Uh, Not a lot of people left who lived through the Depression. Those numbers are starting to dwindle more and more. Uh, But certainly throughout your career, you've seen maybe clients and they've talked about maybe their parents and impressions and takeaways from what happened to that generation during that time. Yeah, I, I get that. Not so much years ago, I had a few people that, uh, you know, were in the Great Depression and not a lot of people, you know, were necessarily investing, but it was that whole aftermath and how, you know, the economy, I mean, stocks went down 90% during the Great Depression. So the economy was greatly affected by that. And we all know the stories. We've seen the documentaries. But for people that lived through that area, as well as their children whose parents lived through that area, 
it really affects your mindset. A lot of people are going to be risk adverse because they're afraid of the market because they saw what happened. And you can, you know, you can look historically at what's happened with the markets and everything and, and make logical conclusions. You should be investing in the stock market. But if you live through that, it's going to be permanently ingrained into your mind. And for, for children of, of parents that were really affected through the Great Depression, which most people were, they're going to, you're going to learn a lot anyway from your parents and how your parents handle money and what their thoughts were about money. 90% of the time, that's the way you're going to think about money. And that's how you're going to handle money is what you learn from your parents. So if your parents went through that era and they didn't want anything to do with the stock market, a lot of the times the children are not going to want anything to do with the stock market. Hmm. That's interesting to hear that kind of fallout. And that was common during the Great Depression, if you go back and read stories. And uh, it took a while for, I think, the country to mentally recover, as well as obviously physically from the Great Depression, uh, mm -hmm. especially as it relates to money and stocks and the markets and economy and that rebuilding that trust was, was difficult. Well, then we get to World War II, and we saw an era of a booming market from 1945, really, really onward for quite a while. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, again, this generation is is aging and a little bit older, but still a good number of folks that were around at, at different age points during that era uh, to have their impressions on money impacted. Yeah, and this is a complete opposite of what we talked about with the Great Depression. I mean, you know, for almost a good decade or actually a little bit more than a decade. I mean, the stock market averaged 16% per year. So you we'll, could get- We'll take that, right? <laughs> yeah, really. You could get a little overconfident in what the market could actually do for you and become a little risk adverse because you had seen what had happened throughout that whole market cycle after World War II, we boomed and everything was growing and everything was, was prosperous after, obviously, we had gone through the Great Depression. And you know, again, it's whatever patterns that you have ingrained in you, you have to you know, logically try to think through them. And a lot of what I do with people is you know, investing is very emotional. And that's one reason to actually work with an advisor because you can kind of pull the emotion out of some of the decisions and talk through them. So you can, even though, let's say you're very confident the market, you've got, you remember that boom era starting in 1945, you know, maybe you need to, you know, crank it back a little bit and take a little bit risk. So there's conversations there talking about the emotions. But again, this was a complete opposite. You could become you know, a big fan of the markets and take too much risk because of what they did back in the mid 40s. It's a great point. Yeah, two very different eras, Great Depression and that World War II booming market time frame post-war. All right, and then we had something a little bit different happen in the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, we can fast forward a little bit as part of this one to right now. Uh, we mm -hmm. saw soaring interest rates. Mm -hmm. How yeah. did that environment impact people then, and is it impacting people similarly now, do you think? 
Well, and this is where most people that I work with remember these types of things back in, in the in the 70s and early 80s, obviously. And yes, there's a lot of correlations between what we saw back in that era and what we're seeing today. We had interest rates going up. We had high inflation. We had the market struggling. And a lot of people, because of that, have that mindset of putting money into the bank. And we can put money in the bank. And yes, temporarily, in the short term, we're getting rewarded for that. Will those interest rates stay up there? Probably not. They didn't. You know, back in this era, they continued, you know, they came down eventually in the 80s. A lot of people, too, remember, you know, mortgage rates. When they bought their first house, the interest rate they had on their mortgage was so much higher you know, than they are today. People have like two or three, four percent interest rates on their mortgages. And you know, that's another area that impacts people psychologically. Um, and that maybe they, you know, wanna they like the smaller houses because that's what they had. And because interest rates were so high, their payments were so high. And so all this is psychological but there's a lot of correlations between back then and today. And you know, the, the reality is, though, that eventually these interest rates will come down and having a financial plan where you put all of your money in the bank is not necessarily going to be a good thing over the longer term. And I actually had a client, uh, I think it was probably, well, let me see, it would have been probably about 13, 14 years ago or so. Um, that came in because she had had a CD that her mom had had put money into. I think it was $3,000 was initially put in there. Her mom bought her a 30-year CD at 14%. Wow. And that three grand turned into something like 88000 or something. Don't quote me on that. That's but crazy. it was a huge amount over that 30-year time period. Because she locked in those rates. And at the time, everybody's like, yeah, why do you want to lock in for 30 years? That's crazy, you know? But in hindsight, it worked out really well. Yeah, no kidding. That worked out fantastic. To, <laughs> in I that, think in any of us would that take period. that nowadays, yeah. right? That's a long time to lock money up, of course, but still, that's a great, right. uh, great return in today's world and what we've seen in certain years where you can be way down. So need right. to see that uh, formative um, you know, event happen in those late 70s, early 80s, and uh, kind of people experiencing maybe some similar emotions now. What about Black Monday? That happened in 1987. Talked a lot about eras, I think, previously, and then 1987, it's, it's really like a day in history yeah. that really gets kind of discussed. Yeah, October nineteenth, nineteen eighty-seven. I was in the business. I, I I was went through this, and you know the reality is that the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped twenty-two point six percent in one day, and that rattled some people, right? And that your money, you could lose almost a quarter of your money in one day. Think about it. if you had a million dollars, you lost a quarter of a million dollars in one day. Yeah, and how, that, does, how does that not impact you emotionally? Right. right. I mean, and, and it totally, you know, changes your psyche, you know, with when you go through that, especially if you had a lot of money and you lost, I mean, if you know, if you were just starting saving in your 401k plan and you had a grand and you lost, what, yeah, $230, you know, it was something, it was, you probably didn't notice. 
right? Because most people aren't yeah. looking at their 401ks all the time. Probably saw something on the news. But uh, you know, for for people that have more money invested and were following it, it definitely rattled them. Yeah, it's one thing to hear on the news. Oh, the stock market was down, you know, one point nine percent today, and you're like, eh, okay, that doesn't sound like a lot. Then if you actually look at the number of dollars that you're down, you know, relative to the size of your account, you might be impacted by that statement totally differently. You know, right? It's all tracking about it the on dollars, a daily basis. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, man, to see that in one day, it is a bit hard to imagine that if you didn't live through it, you know. And that's why then that formative experience hits people a little bit differently. This next one, Scott, it's interesting because I'm kind of wondering through each of these, like, you know, how does it impact people at different ages? You know, if you're a kid in the Great Depression, do you feel that more than if you were a kid in Black Monday? And I think probably so, because the Great Depression obviously was more than just a stock market influence. Right, right. You know, it really impacted your day-to-day life. Um, but if you were in the business, you know, then Black Monday really leaves an impact on you. Or if you're at a, maybe a little bit older and you're really close to retirement and you see that one day decrease, man, that hits you really differently. So it's interesting to think about the different ages that you are when these things happen. So mm-hmm. for me, I start to identify a little bit with some of these, like when we hit the dot-com crash in mm-hmm. 2000. I was still pretty young, and uh, well, I must have been going into middle school, high school in 2000, so um, right. still wasn't really aware of what was going on out there. So this one didn't leave a, very much of a lasting impression on me. It's more of like a, a throwaway thing I sort of hear about, but doesn't really hit me as hard. Well, you know what? You know, the dot-com crash, most people are going to remember this, and most people you know, that are my clients, they were investing money during this time period. And you know, what led up to this is this, you know, these tech stocks, these, you know, Cisco's and all these companies, Broadcom that people were putting money in, you know, this was the future. So these stocks went up real, 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 real high. And it was mostly all tech stocks. And then you throw on top of that, the whole, you know, the Y2K thing, everybody's computers are going to shut down on, you know, December. I do remember uh, that concern well, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Y2K, the computers weren't going to work on January 1st of, you know, 2001. But, you know, the tech stocks lost nearly 80% of their value in the dot-com crash. So, you know, those tech stocks, everybody's all excited about them. They got way, 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 way up there, much higher than they really need, you know, should have been. And then it all came crashing down. And because of that, a lot of people are still, you know, wary of tech stocks today. And, you know, a lot of those companies never, so, you know, a lot of them went bankrupt. We all remember, you know, like uh, WorldCom, you know, that was, that was a big one, you know, where, uh, Enron, that was a text that was not a tech stock, but it was another issue of, of big companies that went down during that era. And, uh, you know, it, it's just when you go through something like that, where, you know, you, and let's say hypothetically, you, you bought a stock, you know, for $10,000 and it went up to a hundred thousand in your mind, you're thinking you had a hundred thousand dollars that that money was yours. And then all of a sudden in the dot-com crash, that came all, you know, crashing down to, you know, you had, you had your 10 grand again. And you're like, man, you know, I just lost all that money. And that has a big impact. And, you know, from 2000 to 2010, don't quote me the exact dates, but a lot of people call that the lost decade because 
you know, the S&P 500 barely grew over that 10-year time period. And a big part of that was the dot-com crash that kind of, you know, you started in the hole and you were digging your way out all the way through. I know not the exact same, but feels a little bit like uh, crypto, right? Everybody thought, oh, we're going to, I'm going to miss yeah. the boat if I don't get in on this, the fast rise and also the really fast fall of an entire segment of, of investments and in investing, right? Like just not just an individual company, but just whole chunks of a segment just, just falling by the wayside. And the whole dot-com thing, a lot of that too with the tech stocks was the old keeping up with the Joneses thing, right? You go out there cutting the grass, mm. talking to the neighbor, and he's like, man, you got to get this tech stock, man. It's going to go great. And there was a lot of that during that time period too. A lot of hype about, hey, you know, like you said, very similar to crypto. Hey, you got to own some of this Bitcoin. You know, it's going to be the future. So well, would you say just... the dot-com crash was really sort of the beginning of that get-rich-quick sort of Every, the everyday man now had sort of access to those kinds of investments, the get rich quick kind of feel to it, where you get in early, boom, you can you know get a big explosion. But then it was also the introduction of this fast rise, fast fall situation. Yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. I, I think it was because you know, like I said, everybody's like, you got to get this, you got to get this. It's a future. You buy it, you double your money. And then you're like, oh man, this is great. I'm going to, I'm going to retire next year. And then boom, it all fell apart. Yeah. Much more exciting stocks than probably the more traditional stocks of the time, right? You're just, right. Yeah. You're brick exactly. and mortar stores and you're just, you know, everyday kind of ho-hum, small growth kind of uh, situations. These were, these were big movers and that was exciting. And now it also created a lot of opportunities after that crash. You bought some good quality companies really cheap. You know, it's worked out really well for you over the past 20 something years. It's a great point as well. Well, we fast forward to 2008 and now comes a period of time where I can really feel deeply impacted by it because I graduated college in the midst of this next one, Scott. So I was hitting the job market during one of the worst economies of all time. And that was the Great Recession of 2008 and the fallout for several years after. A little bit different here because this involved more than just the market, right? More than just the stock market because we had housing concerns here. And, and obviously, if you, anybody remembers back to that time, just concerns of the whole system collapsing back in 08, 09. Yeah, we were, we were minutes away from a complete economic collapse of our whole financial system. And that was all driven by, you know, the mortgage fallouts that, you know, there People had mortgages for houses they simply couldn't afford, and then the default started building up and building up, and that whole housing bubble burst. People were just walking away from their houses when the house prices came down because they couldn't afford it. It was worth a quarter of or whatever it was of whatever they bought it for, and they just simply started walking away from those houses. And all you know, people were invested, banks were invested in those mortgage-backed securities, and the whole system just started falling apart. And the Great Recession of 2008 has a huge impact on how I do my financial planning now. And that when we set up income for somebody, when they get into retirement, we set aside five years worth of income that is not subject to market declines. Now, it's still earning money. We've got it in different investments. But the idea being there in 2008, it took five years for that market to come back. 
So we actually structure saying, hey, if that ever happens again, and there's a lot of correlations to what was happening just, you know, um, with some of the bank failures we had this year with that SVB, you know, people would call me and say, boy, is this another 2008? And it's not because that was mortgage related. This was interest rate related and just some poorly managed banks that didn't hedge their interest rate risks properly. But, you know, that was a recession in 2008, triggered by the whole market, housing market bubble. And it just started cascading. And, and there were, you know, a lot of rules and laws have changed, you know, mark the market accounting. And there's different rules that came out of that, that would help to prevent that from happening again. But that is something where almost everybody I talked to remembers, you know, 2008 and you know what they had in their 401k and then it just dropped and then it took them forever to get their money back it seems um so that has a huge impact on my clients but also how i position and do financial planning in case that were to ever happen again that we would be protected and my clients would be protected that's interesting to hear how that shaped not only us as individuals, but then how you structure your entire financial planning process mm -hmm. and uh, continues to reverberate today. Perhaps similar lessons, or maybe you've amended things even further now as we've gone through another one recently and everybody knows what's coming next. And that's the COVID-19 market crash of 2020 and the last couple of years of the volatility and the ups and downs. And I mean, just numerous lessons the last couple of years that have kind of all been born out of that. And, and another one of those things that was just a, a, a little bit kind of a different thing. You know, this wasn't housing. This wasn't a single day crash. This wasn't uh, rising interest rates, at least at the time. Now we know it is a little bit, but it wasn't right. a war. It wasn't, uh, you know, the Great Depression. This was just this, this was a, a pandemic. This was a bug that kind of comes into our world and totally changes the financial makeup of everything. Who'd have thought, huh? Yeah. You know, who'd, have, who'd have thought <laughs> that we would have had a flu, you know, that we had no treatment for and that we would shut down the government. We'd have to stay in our houses. Restaurants would close. Businesses would close you know, and we would all be getting vaccines before we could even go to go do anything. And they'd be checking our vaccine cards. Who would have thought, right? And because of that, you know, they created a ton of uncertainty and the markets were really weird, right? Because, you know, we had that, you know, March, April of 2020, the market really dropped, but then it started coming back and 2020 wasn't a bad year for the market. Now, the problem is the effects of what we did during that whole market crash and during the whole pandemic, printing money, sending money out to people, shutting the government, the supply chain issues that were created from shutting down everything. It's been taking us years to work through that. And part of the reason why we have the market volatility we have now is because of the COVID, the printing of money, the rising interest rates are all effects from the COVID market crash in 2020. So we're still writing the book on this one. We're still seeing how this is all going to eventually play itself out. So I think that, you know, the market crash of 2020 is obviously the, you know, the biggest thing. But, you know, I think 
you know, not the biggest thing, the most recent thing, I guess I should reword that, but we're still kind of seeing how it's going to eventually all play out. Yeah, it's fascinating that we're three years into it and still figuring it all out. And that seems to be the one theme of a lot of these crashes, a lot of these downturns, is the amount of time it takes to recover and right. and to figure it all out. And I can see why from the Great Recession of 08, that seems to be like one of those main reasons you were hitting on of why you change the way that you plan and help people prepare mm-hmm. for retirement. We're seeing that play out again right now, even though the right. initial recovery was so quick. Now we've seen a more long-term drawn out downward trend, slower recovery, concerns that it's going to be you know stunted now and not continue and, and just all that uncertainty, it's a stressful time to try and retire successfully. And so Right. I mean, are we going to go into recession at the end yeah. of the year, beginning of next year? You know, how's that all going to look? And you know, so yes, we're still working through this, but when it comes to financial planning, you know, the markets are driven by the news. We can't predict the news, thus we can't predict the markets. I say that all the time. And, you know, COVID was a news kind of thing, right? It was an event. It was something we couldn't predict. We didn't know that there was going to be the, you know, the, the you know, the COVID virus coming from China or wherever it came from. And, uh, you know, we had no clue. We didn't know. You can't predict that type of stuff. So when you do planning, you need to kind of create safety nets and backup plans because there are always going to be these things, whether it's the, you know, rising interest rate, Black Monday, dot-com crashes, great recessions, COVID market crashes, whatever it is, we, there's going to be something else. And we just don't know when it's going to be. It could be in 2040. Uh, but we need to plan and make sure we have some strategies and protections in place so that it doesn't affect your lifestyle in the way that you live your life. Really helpful information all across the board here, Scott. And so if you want to know how you can build a plan that is designed to weather these various storms when they pop up, not if, it's it's a when. We know they're going to happen. These things are going to happen every once in a while throughout life. They're going to cause these disruptions and changes to patterns in the market. And it can be difficult to plan for if you're not ready. And uh, But that's the good news. There is a way that you can develop a financial plan that can get you to and through retirement without having to be overly concerned about these changes that can weather those various storms. And so if you want to talk to Scott a little bit about how to put together a plan like that and what that looks like, you can begin an initial conversation for free uh, by going to talktoscott.com. It's that easy. Schedule your time to visit uh, right from your smartphone or computer. Again, book it online at talktoscott.com for a free consultation, or you can call the old-fashioned way if you prefer 888-742-0111 that's 888-742-0111 cool discussion scott thanks for your guidance and uh, help on those matters and uh, now let's get to know you a little bit better it's getting to know you time all right a little sidestep from the more serious talk little fun for the show today. Here's our question of the episode for you, Scott. If you had to change your name, for some reason we're outlawing the use of Scott in the world, can't do it anymore, what would you change it to? All right. Well, you know what? I could easily change it to a cuss word my wife calls me all the time, and it would make it super easy around the house. Because uh, I, already, I already respond to that anyway. Uh <laughs> 
Okay. I we, hope she doesn't listen. We don't have FCC, uh, so you can tell us the word, I suppose. If you want. No, no, we're good. We'll pass on that. Uh, it starts with an A, though. Um, oh, oh, that one. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But there, there are know, worse. There are worse. There are. There are. <laughs> Love it. All right. But no, re- really, I, I mean, I don't know. I'd go with some sort of action star, right? I'd do a Jason, Jason Bourne, James Bond kind of thing. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if your name was James Bond? You could say, my name is Bond, James I like, Bond. I like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just cool. I mean, who wouldn't like that? I mean, yeah, that, that's what I think I'd go with. All right, I like that. Go with a, go with a, a cool name like that. I, I think that's neat, yeah. Why not? At this point in life, right? Like, you don't need to pick something regular and boring. You can have a little fun with it. Yeah, yeah. One of my uh, one of my favorites was uh, there was a girl in school, in elementary school. Her name was Miracle True Love. Miracle True really? Love. Yep, I'll never forget her. And uh, she had a rolly book bag. So, you know, she was the rolly book bag girl. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Miracle True Love was her name. So I don't know much more about her or what, the, what her history was, but... You know, I always thought it was kind of a cool name. She got picked on it for it a little bit, but sure, sure. I wonder what she's up to these days in in life. But uh, I'm not saying I would change my name to that. But I don't know. I'd, I'd find I'd be like you. Like, why not? Let's be different outside the box. Pick something kind of bizarre like that. I don't know. I don't have anything off the top of my head. I'd change it to now. But Clark Griswold would be on my list. <laughs> there you. Okay, nice. That would be fun, right? Yeah. My name Clark Griswold. Yeah. You know, because everybody would know who that is that watch movies. But, you know, you get all these famous people too, you know, like the NBA guys, you know, world be free. And, you know, they, you know, they go That's right. way They've over the top with their name stuff. changes, yeah. right? Yeah. Or we could go Frank Zappa out there and, and go with the, what Moon Unit and Dweezil and things like yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> get really creative. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I love it. I, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of Moon Unit, to be honest. Oh, what is it? Uh, what, isn't it um, Elon Musk? Didn't he name his daughter something like with like a series of letters and numbers after some sort of military airplane or, or something like that? I don't no know the idea. story behind that. But really? Yeah, they have a daughter's name that's like X, X7 something or another. Um, yeah, Elon Musk daughter. Name. Yeah, I don't know if I would do that to my daughter, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, if it's, I'm changing my name, it's a different thing than, you know, me naming my kids. Yeah. I don't, uh, I'm trying to find it here. It's something like, oh yeah, A-E, but it's like a weird A-E. I don't know. It's some sort of other, some sort of other thing. A-E and then space A dash X-I-I or something like that. So it's. You could go A-E-I-O-U. <laughs> there you go. I like that. <laughs> A-E-I-O-U. Fun stuff. All right. So uh, we're outside the box, but maybe not that outside the box. No, people have gone way farther than we would go. It sounds like it. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. Let's see how far outside the box we're going to get with this next question. It's coming from Catherine as it's time to open up the mailbag. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. All right. So Catherine says, my mom is aging quickly and I'd really like to retire to help take care of her. I have plenty of money in my 401k, but I'm only 57 years old. Is it foolish to retire now? Well, Catherine, you know what? This is this is a great question, and we get this a lot actually in our office. And uh, you know, I certainly love the idea of you being able to not work and take your time to take care of your mother. I mean, that's that's fantastic. And 
the biggest issue is going to be if you retire before age 59 and a half and your only savings that you have is inside that 401k plan, it becomes a lot more difficult. There are some kind of off the wall strategies we can use because you're going to have to pay a 10% penalty whenever you access any of your money previous to age 59 and a half and you can't get social security until you're 62. And the other thing you need to consider then is healthcare until you're 65. So a big part of that's going to be is how much do you have accumulated outside of that retirement plan to be able to fund that two and a half, three years before age 59 and a half, because then we can start dipping into that retirement account if we need to at that point in time to take care of all those expenses. So this is something where you should definitely go to talktoscott.com schedule a call with me and we can kind of walk through your situation and kind of see where your starting point is because there's a lot you know a lot of details that go into answering your questions Catherine yeah it's a great question Catherine we thank you for sending that one into us a couple of things to be keeping on your mind in terms of concerns as you move forward and you're in the kind of position Catherine where it really makes sense to work with an advisor to walk through some of these complications some of these really big questions because they're going to have huge implications on your financial life and if you're talking about retiring in your late 50s Scott I mean depending on your health and uh, your family outlook but also just with the advancements in technology and medicine I mean you could be retired for 30 40 years or more even in absolutely some cases. So, yeah so you got to be careful yeah. Make good decisions here, Catherine, and work with uh, an advisor who can help you explore those things. Uh, go ahead, Scott. You had one more thought? Oh, I was just going to say, it may even work in your cards that maybe you, you know, retire and then, you know, maybe get a part-time job after your mother may pass or whatever. You know, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can skin the cat. Good news is these days there's lots of additional considerations and alternatives and creative solutions to problems that weren't there 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. So we do have a lot of more moving pieces at our disposal, but you've got to um, uh, deploy those resources effectively. And that's what Scott does every day, folks. He helps you plan for retirement, looking at the resources, the tools that you have available to you, and making it all come together for that cohesive plan. So you can ride out the storms of retirement while being confident in achieving those retirement and financial goals that you have. So if you want to talk to him a little bit about how to put together that plan, what it looks like, how that relationship develops, and what all is involved. It's not that hard. It's not that daunting. Uh, really picking up the phone, making that call or scheduling that first visit is often the hardest part. But once you have the conversations, uh, it starts to get easier and uh, you get more clarity. And a lot of people uh, feel a lot better once they go through this planning process. So give them a call at 888-742-0111 to address your questions. 888-742-0111 or go online to talktoscott.com and schedule a time to visit from your smartphone or computer. That's talktoscott.com. Scott, great show today. Thank you for all your help and guidance, and we'll chat with you again soon. Uh, I love it. Always have fun, Walter. Yep, it's enjoyable, and I uh, love catching up with you. Get out there and uh, finish up the lacrosse season strong, my friend, and we'll see everybody next time right back here on the Retirement Toolbox. Go Guardians. Investment advisory services provided by Skybox Asset Management, LLC.